Welcome back. You're listening to the Backyard Studio. This is episode four, and today I'm super excited about this one. We got Chef Ryan DePercio, founder, partner, head chef of Fashino in Montclair, Botello in Jersey City, and Kitchen Step in Jersey City. Amazing restaurants. Today we're talking what it takes to really make it as a chef, how to make Cresta de Gallo, the world of Michelin stars, and I eat gluten for the first time in 15 years on this podcast today. Hope you enjoy it. Tune in, tell me what you like, tell me what you don't, and enjoy. When I was a cook back in the day, I worked in Manhattan, right? Starting at 18 years old. Mm-hmm. I literally graduated high school. I went to cooking school part-time, right? And part-time worked in Manhattan. And the biggest thing was, is every Wednesday, the New York Times review would come out and everybody would fucking rush to the newsstand to pick up the New York Times we, review. We're talking pre kind of internet this is, culture, uh, right? So I graduated high Yelp, school. Yelp's not around yet. No fucking Yelp. Everyone's bro. going to like the paper. I mean, it's, it's a famous person writing In New column. York City, I don't think they, st- I still don't think they look at Yelp. Yeah. I do think that the times kind of faded a little bit. And I think it was more, for me, my thoughts are is that the reviewers are trying to become more like a writer or like art- artistic in their writing. And I, I feel like they lost that 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 lust that that cooks and people had towards New York Times reviews. If you got a three star review in the New York Times, you were set. Like your restaurant was gonna be full. If you got four stars, fuck it. You were like you were the king. And how long does that last though? They say restaurants turn around quickly. So do you do you know any of the Manhattan restaurants that are like three stars, four stars, and like La Bernardin? I don't. Okay, I can so, name you like the big steakhouses. I can name you um, some of the, like I, I could say Nobu. And okay. Because so, I've heard about it in pop yeah. culture. You know, I've never ate there. Nobu's incredible. I've been there like uh, at least a dozen times. I know times. pop culture places. Yeah. You know, but I don't know, I probably don't know the best restaurants. Yeah. Nobu's incredible. Um, but uh, they grew on a large scale. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, I mentioned La Bernardin. La Bernardin is one of my favorite restaurants in all of Manhattan. It's been open. 30 plus years, um, it's probably way too upscale for, I would say, a lot of people, but I absolutely love it. I fucking love it. You know, you sit down, you know, um, you're dressed to the nines, the servers are in suits, you know, it's a tasting menu only, you choose your cold course, your your, your pasta course, your appetite, your entree course, and they're not entree portions because by the time you're done choosing, say, like even the fish, there'll be like raw fish and then like warm fish. And then like, you know, it's insane. That is insane. It's insane. Someone and then, and and then after you, all that. And then when you order, you know, before, before your first course comes, canapes come. Like fucking canapes. And it's, it's like, it might be like three different types of like tastes and it's only a one bite each. By the time you're done, you've tasted like, you know, depending on the restaurant, La Bernadette, you're usually around seven, eight courses or seven, eight, yeah, seven, eight courses. But then there's restaurants that serve like, like per se, do you know, per se, Thomas Keller. Dude, um, I'm so, I'm so, uh, uneducated in when it comes to. So he's the king. He fucking food. Thomas, Thomas. Chef's table. That's about as much as I know. Yeah. So, um, I'm trying to, well, all those guys on chef's table, especially in the first couple seasons, they were just like doing all the chefs that were like doing tasting menus only. Right. Um, 
you can go up to 25 courses. It's insane. That, man, I, my girlfriend did something like that in Portugal. And it was like, you know, like course four was one meatball the size of a marble. Yeah. But by the time you're full, you could be overly full by the time you're done. Well, yeah. You know, you think about it. It's like if, if you're having 25, listen, it's like 25 is extreme. If you're having 12 courses and you have two bites, that's 24 Dude, bites. Dude, if you're having eight courses, it still gets you to eat slower and yep. appreciate it more. Yep. And then they'd start doing like, you know, the pizzazz. Like you've seen Ray with his cocktails work with um, uh, liquid nitrogen where he like pours it in and the smoke comes out and shit like that. Like they do that like with food too. Like I, I have to show you this video of a, a restaurant that yeah, I- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh boy. Yeah, what is we, this? We got snacks. We got snacks? We have snacks. This is a, a strictly um, Chef RD, I just, realized, I just realized I haven't said your name and introduced you, like who you are. <laughs> you thank God I could put something in the title, but uh, I mean, Ryan DePercio, chef, owner, right? Yep. Chef, kind of yep. everything. So of I'm the owner of Fashino and Montclair. I'm a partner at Kitchen Step and Batello. Okay. Um, and uh, I've been here from day one. Uh, you know, Corey is the CEO of the restaurant and he brought me in. We, Corey and I knew each other uh, back in the day, we met through our friend Clay Morton. Clay Morton owns Morton Wines in Healdsburg, California. One of the greatest Zinfandel makers ever. The guy is just phenomenal. Oh, dude, I was not expecting this. This is this is such a treat. So well, I mean, uh, let Ray me, did hook it up with cocktails. So. Let me tell you what we got, and then I'll continue my story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, right. And you really got to describe this good because it's all audio. So, 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 so we. You, you know, gotta, we're obviously a seafood-based restaurant, but we do have a lot of options beyond seafood here. Um, but because of us being seafood-based, I wanted a majority of it to be seafood. This is a tuna crudo, all right, or tuna marinata, we like to say. Uh, so it's marinated, raw, sushi-grade tuna, and it has anchovy crumbs, dehydrated um, black olives, and then a lot of citrus and olive oil and stuff like that. So... Grab your plate. What's, what's an anchovy crumb? Anchovy crumb. So basically we dehydrate andro, anchovies and then we grind them into toasted breadcrumbs. So it's got crunchy, sea salt. Are they actually bread though? Yeah, yeah. It's, so, it's, so it's not just it's, flaky fish. So it's fish, and, it's fish and crumbs that are grinded together. All right. And then here we have the uh, pan roasted octopus. Jesus. Chickpeas, pepperonata, paprika oil. And then this is a, a chickpea panisse. So chickpea panisse is just a chickpea cake, but it's just a fancy word, all right? And then we went off the seafood. I don't know if you realize how important pasta is to us in this restaurant group. Uh, when I opened back in 2003, I was one of the first guys making fresh pasta. And when I say first young guys, back in 2003, like any restaurants that were making fresh pasta were like the old school Italians, like authentic or Jersey Italian, you know, linguine and clams and, you know, um, you know, penne vodka and stuff like that. I was one of the first ones like doing like market driven pastas where it wasn't red sauce. So this is a corn filling with uh, marjoram, brown butter, and shiitake mushrooms. Marjoram is a, a perennial uh, herb that has almost like the flavor of oregano and citrus together. Got it. Okay. All right? Dude, sounds amazing. So I'm going to tell my story, and you're going to start eating. Okay. I'm going to give you one uh, thing first, and I love that I'm saying this on, on here. Yeah. So I'm going to do something today that I've not done in a long time. Tell me you don't eat seafood. No, no, no. I love seafood. I can't eat oysters. 
That put me in the hospital a few years ago. Okay. I've been gluten-free since 2003. No, 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 no. No, no, I don't want you to eat it if you're gluten-free. No, 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 hang on, hang on. I've been gluten-free since 2003 when I was 13 years old. So I tell people, gluten-free since 03. Um, I ended up in the hospital a couple times when I was younger. They figured this was the culprit. So I just cut it when I was 13 uh, and barely ate it since. On occasion, it sneaks into stuff, and I'm fine. Okay. So the joke over the last year with my friends is like, dude, that test was 15 years ago. Just try it, man. Like, you might be fine now. Did you try it? I have, besides, like, a piece of something here and there. When I say a piece, we're talking, oops, I ate a wing that was breaded because I didn't know it was breaded. Sure. And then I found out it was breaded, so I stopped. Yeah. But I've always been fine after. Interesting. Right? Back in the day, man, I had the worst eczema, all stuff. And, and when I cut it out, it did go away. But I was a teenager. So I'm 32 now. I can't think of a better time <laughs> to test this than with your incredible food. I love I love the idea that I'm trying this now. With, well, with I your food. I feel honored that you're actually going to do this. Oh, I'm going to do. You understand? People have been trying to get me to do this for years, like over a, a decade. When you get a when you get a bite, <laughs> what you got to do is take a photo now, and in 30 minutes, if my face blows up, <laughs> I'm willing to die for this podcast. Let's do this. All right, you're not. You've had all this. You I've had all it. this, but we're going to snack together. I mean, oh, good. So good, good. What's the be- What's your favorite thing on the menu here? Oh God, dude, everything's so great. It's hard to pick, man. I mean, like. So Chef Chris made this. This is a new crudo. Start with this. Okay, this um, is, I'm trying this to. Is, you, if you were going to go as a tasting menu, this is how you would start. You would start with the raw, then the cooked, and then the pasta. Oh, wow. This was, this was strategic, what you did here. 100%. So we went cold. Yeah, we brought chicken. it out together, but you're going you're gonna to try, um, try in this direction. All right. Oh, man, this is big. All right. My, my parents might have to tune into this one and find out. This is like <laughs> my doctor might have to tune into this one. So my, right. my nephew was the same way. My nephew was gluten-free for years. He, he, he went gluten-free because he was getting massive headaches. Isn't that good? Dude, this is amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> one of the best things I've ever tasted. So he's getting massive headaches and all that. Holy shit. He goes gluten-free and the headaches go away. So he stops eating gluten from like, I don't know, I forget. It was like maybe like nine to like 13. Mm-hmm. And then when he's like 13, he goes by like, my, my brother's like, my brother's hilarious. My brother's like, you know, just be like a ninja. Just like, you know, take a little poison at a little bit at a time. And then, you know, you'll, so my nephew like takes this advice and starts like nibbling here and there, blah, blah. He's not gluten, he doesn't eat gluten free anymore. He eats everything. He, I made him sourdough bread for his birthday. He was like, I gave him sourdough bread and I gave him a check of money. He's like, get yourself whatever you want, right? He didn't even look at the check. He's like, oh, I can't wait to eat this fucking bread. This Dude, bread. if someone told me, you know, <laughs> this, you can eat a pizza, but it's going to be $10,000, I'd probably like, like take out a loan. <laughs> I would do it. My favorite food I haven't had in 15 years. Pizza's the so, best. It's I'm, the best. Do you want some of this? The yeah, tuna one? Yeah, Here, yeah, have yeah. Some. Dude, this, is, this really is amazing. Um, how do you come up with this stuff? Like, are you at home with these ingredients in the house or are you sitting in the kitchen all night? No. So, so at this point, I mean, I'm 17 years in creating menus. Um, and don't get me wrong. I've, I've fell flat on my face a few times, um, more than a few times, uh, probably 50% of the time, you know, you, but as you keep going and you keep developing, you just kind of, you come up with winners, you know, you know, like a comedian bombs, they go out, they try some new material. 
how does that work in this industry? Can you bomb? Like, what do you, well, you don't have on the menu and no one orders thank it? Thank God or? nobody like is like, you know, booing you off stage, but, but, but you look at the sales. That's my booing off stage is looking at the sales. That's a, that's a nice light way of learning. It's not good. Yeah. Just, you know, if they're like, like snapping at you. Excuse me. Yeah. I don't know about this. Oh my God. I think I've had that. No way. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I had a guy tell me at Fashion Ho um, back in 2006 that I was buying shit filet mignon, beef tenderloin. And was, was he just a dick? Is he like a Karen type who's just like, I like to complain because... No, he was a dick. He was like, he was full, like, a, dick. He was yeah. like a full-on dick. And, and I had... First, the server was like, no, you know, chef buys, you know, um, prime filet mignon, which is the highest grade. And at that point, 2006, like dry age wasn't like a, a thing yet. So prime is like your highest, right? The highest grade by the F, the USDA, sure. right? And um, I was I was probably quite an asshole back then. Like I was only in my twenties, and I was kind of like, if someone like pissed me off, like I couldn't hold back. And um, <laughs> so my brother, who was managing the restaurant at the time, he goes and he's like, "Sir, he's like, you know, Chef Ryan's my brother. He's like, I know what he buys. He's like, you know, maybe just." Maybe you just maybe it's just not your style, cut of beef that you like, or you're just trying to like smooth it over. And the guy's like, "Nah, he doesn't know what the fuck he's buying like that," you know. And my brother comes in and he's like, "Oh man, this guy's such an asshole." He's like saying that like you don't know what you're buying and ever. And I grab a raw eight pound filet mignon from no, no, the no, no, fridge, no, 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 and I fucking slam it on the table and I said, "Read that right there. You see that prime grade from the USDA. You can't get fucking better than this. You don't like it? There's the fucking door." You, you did that. I swear dude, to God. You, dude, if, if you were on camera looking like Tony Soprano, bro, you would, you would have more press, press than any, any restaurant in the world. It, back then that it, sounds like a scene. Back then dude. it would probably be good press. Right now I think it would be bad press. Oh, I don't know. You know man. what I mean? Like, yeah, unless you're wearing a You got to be careful. Yeah. That's, that sounds like a scene in, in The Sopranos, man. <laughs> what I would do to see that. I can't imagine. And I'm picturing everyone's clapping, you know, at the other table. Well, the like, table next to when they left... You know, they, they were at the end of their meal. So when they left, you know, the table next one was like, wow, that was amazing. <laughs> what a stab, man. What a, I would give everything to see that. Anyone listening who hasn't seen this place, it's, it's one of the most beautiful and one of the biggest restaurants I've ever seen. It's on a pier. Yeah. A lot of windows, kind of this industrial, modern design with leather couches and wood tables and yeah. there's wine everywhere and there's high ceilings. And mm -hmm. It's amazing. If you were to turn this into a show, right? Okay. There's a couple cameras following people and then all of a sudden it's the, it's the yes, yeah, people yelling in the kitchen sure. and it's this going wrong and this table and you know, who's hooking up with who, whatever. I don't know. You know how they make, they produce TV. Would that decrease? We, we would close in two years. You would close in two years. Would it decrease the, 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 it would decrease the value of, of the restaurant hundred percent. Decrease the value, but would it increase the attendance? I don't think you can. Would you be like a famous Celebrity, I mean, if you, man, if you were pulling those shenanigans on, on... Listen, those live, like, you know, um, what is that? Like, reality. Yeah, is it all fake? It's fake, man. There's, there's, they, 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 they push the buttons. They, they work a way around pushing the buttons of the, the, the people that are in it. Um, everything, I feel like everything is set up. So the producers know. are saying, hey, listen, the last today, you're going to drop the, you're going to drop your plates on the way into the kitchen. It's going to oh. make a big noise and then... Uh, you know, we're gonna have we're gonna have Chef R D yell at you, you know, in front Listen, of everybody. I'm not in the I'm not in the Hollywood business, but uh, I'd say that I definitely have spoken to people and and heard that a lot of it is fixed. Now know? what about Chef's table? Would you do that? 
I mean, they would never do Chef's Table on me, man. The Chef's Table is like fucking like, you know, that's that's like worldwide. Like you need to be known worldwide. Would I do it? Hell yeah, I would how do, do you, it. Well, so you worked at a one star. First of all, how important are stars? Uh, well, it depends on where they're coming from. Like I said, we were talking before about New York Times. New York Times used to be like the most important for the New York restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, if you got four stars, you were made. Um, oh, I meant Michelin stars. Okay, so if we get to Michelin stars... Um, is that that's heavier, right, than the New York Times star? Now it is, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it always was, but back when back when I was talking about New York Times was like in the early two thousands, mm-hmm. uh, in like late nineties. Michelin wasn't in New York City; it was only in Europe. It started in Europe. It was only in Europe, um, and then came over here. I guess uh, I think it's been over the last ten years. Um, but Michelin star restaurants are are just. You know, every detail is done to perfection or they wouldn't be, right? And, and, and I feel like they've kind of dropped, I, honestly, I feel like they've kind of dropped the ball on one stars because if you went to a one-star Michelin in, New, in France or Italy, I should say France, back in the early 2000s or late 90s when I, when I went, it still was a, a wildly upscale restaurant. It was just I don't I don't know how they actually chose between the one, the twos, and the threes. I I guess their choice was you know was it absolutely perfect? Was it absolutely great? Or was it very good? Right? But they're all trying to in France they were all trying to achieve the same thing. And there were the best linens, you know, the best plateware, the best silverware. Um, man. Fucking Alain Ducasse, here, perfect example. Alain Ducasse owned, opened a restaurant in New York City, right? At the end of your meal, when you paid, they'd open up a box and they would have fucking like gold ballpoint pens for you to choose from to sign the bill. Like that's what you're talking Jeez. about, right? Like, you know, it wasn't like them. it wasn't the pens that we have that have the name of the restaurant on it, you know. Yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah. with the phone number underneath, and, and it's the, like clip to the clip. Yeah. Now this was a server that would come yeah. over, open up a, a handcrafted wooden box. Yeah. Right, and then the fucking, <laughs> and then the fucking pen was like gold plated. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. wallpaper ever disappeared. Uh, well, it's funny. Um, so I worked for uh, God. Uh, what was that? Back in 98, I worked at a restaurant called Monzu. All right. It's actually where Lure Fish Bar, you know, Lure Fish Bar in Manhattan? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I do know Lure. Oh, look, Lure. There you one go. Place. All right. So before that, it was called, it was in a Sicilian restaurant called Monzu. My chef de cuisine was Adam Perry Lang. All right. Adam uh, owns a restaurant in Los Angeles called APL. Right. He's like King Barbecue, uh, but he's, but APL is actually focused on, uh, dry aged steaks. Okay. And Adam makes his own steak knives, like l- legit makes his own fucking steak knives. I, he, he, um, started doing it before the restaurant opened. He made like, I don't know, like a hundred steak knives around and they're, they're hanging on the wall and you sign something when you get the knives saying that if you don't, if the knife does not get back into the server's hand, $850 come off the bill. I heard of this. I heard about this. Yep. I don't know where I heard about it, but uh, I did. He was on Joe Rogan. That's where I heard it. Yep. yep. Okay. He, he was yeah, on yeah, Joe yeah. Rogan. I remember that. And I remember, I remember there was some story about one of them disappearing and then 
finding its way back. Yes, that's right. He yeah. did tell the story, and he said that he that's crazy. He messaged, messaged the guy and all that, and he got yeah. it back. But yeah, eight hundred and fifty dollars tacked onto the bill if it's not if it's missing by the end of the meal. Oh man. Your kid took that by accident. I think he's being a smart ass. Doesn't yeah. tell you. But dude, he made his own knives. So it's like, it's things like that. It's craft, right? So all these restaurants that are getting Michelin are, they're specializing in a certain craft and they're offering something that every restaurant does not offer. Right. Now there's one star, there's two stars, there's three star. Now, now to have three stars, can one restaurant have three stars or does a three star chef just means he went to three different one star he got a star at three different places. No, you have to be you have to be awarded three Michelin stars, and you're not being awarded. The chef's not being awarded it. It's the restaurant that's being awarded. He will be considered a three star Michelin chef because his restaurant was awarded it, and he's a big part of that. Okay, but um, it's not. You're not called a three star Michelin chef. It's a three star Michelin restaurant. Now, if the chef leaves, it's still a three star Michelin restaurant. It has to be awarded it every year. You can lose it every year. That's where it's like, wow, and I they didn't go, know that. I thought and, that was forever. No, and that's where they go back to. There were chefs in France that were committing suicide. This one chef who I actually almost worked for, but I ended up getting going to a different uh, stage in Paris. Um, but there was a chef named Bernard Oiseau um, that was a three-star Michelin, and he um, was terrified that he was going to lose his star and killed himself. It's really awful. They talk about it now. There's chefs in France now. Uh, I believe Mark Virat, who's another three-star Michelin, I, I'm pretty sure he gave up his stars. He said, I don't want them because the stress that went upon trying to achieve this was mentally fucking with their lives. And they were just like, and, and, and there were chefs that were committing suicide. There's no four-star chefs, right? Not when it comes to Michelin. Three's the max. Um, it's again, a star is awarded to a restaurant, right? So Sorry, even, four even, star restaurants, I meant. Yeah. So in New York city, there's, there's four star New York times review. So New York times review can go to four stars. Uh, Le Bernardin per se, Sushi Nakazawa, um, uh, restaurant Danielle was, but they lost it. Um, John George, where I worked in Manhattan, he had four stars, I think he's down to three right now. I'm not 100% sure, I mean, unless that was Michelin. But anyway, um, there's literally only like, there's under 10 four-star restaurants. Now, how many fucking restaurants are in New York City, right? Just yeah, a, it seems like every year there's a thousand new ones and a thousand close. Yeah, so. It's hard. You know, these guys are the best of the best, you know, um, and they're considered the greatest chefs that have ever lived. If you're starting out right now, like, hold on, you, hold on. Wait, can we try some more? Oh food? yeah, dude. Man, I keep forgetting that there's like new stuff. All right, All right so this is the chick, the chickpea one. So you got the, so we got the uh, pan roasted octopus chickpeas, pepperonata, and chickpea panisse, which is a chickpea cake. Uh, pepperonata is like an authentic Italian like condiment that they usually serve cold, uh, like with crostini or bruschetta, and you just put it right on there. It's a, it's a vegetable. It's a vegetable. It's, it's a vegetable. <laughs> it's uh, it's peppers, onions, tomato. It has like. Uh, sweet and sour to it, so it's got sugar and it's got uh, vinegar in it as well. I still can't believe how good this first thing is. And look at me, I'm alive. <laughs> I'm alive, man. I'm still here. Oh my god, that had crumbs on it. That's right. I know. Look at this. Let's see what happens later. But all right. So what do you want me to do with that? Just, what do I do? Do I take? Do I cut it's it or on something? Your plate. Take yeah. the chickpea piece of octopus, the peppers. Yeah, I wish you. I wish people listening could see this because it's like. 
It just looks amazing. <laughs> looks like something from the movie Chef or the or the movie Burnt. You ever see Burnt? Love Burnt. Man, I, I love there's Burnt a lot too. of chefs that hate Burnt. They think it's like think a little it, over the top. Well, I don't know about that part, but I think I love the movie. I think I'm over the top. Maybe that's why I like it. Um, but it's it's it is definitely a little over the top. And but it is based in uh, what was it in England or France? Right? It was in France. No. So the the, the film was about this chef that was a drug addict and the best at some point kind of lost his way and left for a while and he and he, he ruined things in paris he ruined things so he he, he grabs the old crew and goes to london london that tries to fix an old restaurant and get his third star ha that's what we were talking about yep. that's why i was curious about it because yep. i remember he got he was going for his third star and i didn't understand how you could have two going for a third at a new restaurant so now i understand it makes more sense okay here we go octopus but uh, yeah, I, I like that movie. I always wanted to make a movie about, uh, you know, what what was he like when he was still addicted, crazy? Yeah. What, what, what was that? What was that side of him like? Where was he coming up with the food? You know, it's funny because um, I I never I never was a like a party animal. Or it's good, right? God damn, this is good, man. <laughs> On podcast next week. Yeah, like what what happens when you don't get fed or or get drinks? Like <laughs> I gotta bring my own food. <laughs> Just order in from Patello. If you do a podcast with an artist, they're gonna have to like like draw a picture of you while <laughs> sing me a song. So I'm sorry, what were you saying? Well, it's funny because I wasn't really much like. I mean, I, I I I went out a lot and drank a lot, but I never I never really got crazy partying and stuff like that. Um, but we were just talking about Joe Rogan, and and it was funny. One of his podcasts was it Post Malone? I forget. And he was talking about how. Um, some artists are at their best when they're the most fucked up. That's so true. It just, it, I, I don't experience it because I've never gone there, but like, like I can't imagine. How do you focus? I think it's the opposite. I think it's, I think because they're not, I don't want to say not trying. Um, you look, I mean, all right, so, so some of the best songs are the saddest songs, right? Some of the best which, movies, are which the came most, from life experiences, from life experiences. So, and then things are going all well. I don't know. Maybe it's you get distracted from yeah. from, you know. I mean, you think about Picasso and Van Gogh, and you think about Jimi Hendrix or you know Eric Clapton. The worst, the worst times in these people's lives caused all the art. Yeah, and I do wonder for certain chefs if that's a part of it too. Maybe it's um. This is a business though that you have to have to stay focused because if you don't stay focused you can lose you know well, yeah I and, and keep more in like, mind those artists like you know they're sitting like and i'm not and this is no disrespect to them whatsoever but you know they're sitting around they're writing music or they're writing books and like this is physical yeah this is like full-on you know 12 like i work 12 hours a day you know and you know, definitely there's days that I get to leave early and, you know, I've created a really good staff. You know, I have a family, I have three kids, right? I have three kids. I have a wife at home. You know, the whole point of me owning, being partner in multiple restaurants is not just about money. It, listen, I want to be successful, no doubt. But, you know, it's, I want to be able to support my kids, but I also want to be able to spend time with them. And the only way I could do that is if I open more restaurants. And it sounds weird to say that, but the whole point is, have a chef at each location, right? We create menus together, we develop menus together, and then I help oversee. So I have an opportunity to have a family 
somewhat, somewhat of a normal life and still be a chef in the restaurant business, you know, because being a chef, you can be a chef in so many different businesses. You know, one of our chefs recently left and he's a, um, uh, I think he develops food for like a, a vegan take, a vegan company or something like that. But I think he works like eight mm -hmm. to four or something like that, just developing recipes. Great. Not what I want to do, but the whole point is, is that this restaurant business is hard. I mean, when you say this, you mean all of it, or you mean at the level that you're that you're working? All of at? it, all of it. I mean, you know, there's chefs out there that are still cooking on the line, you know, five six days a week, you know, because maybe they own their restaurant um, and they know that the costs are so thin that bringing another guy in for forty five thousand dollars a year to cook so that you can, you know, maybe like do less cooking and, you know. It's going to cut you that forty five thousand. If you're an owner in that restaurant, that forty five thousand a year is coming out of your pocket, right? You know, but it can hurt you in the long run. Well, we were we were talking about when you were talking about how they could focus when they were at their worst, things like that. Yeah. I do I do wonder if it's just a different version with a chef. And I'm not when I say this, I'm not talking about you because you clearly got your shit together. <laughs> but maybe there is a chef who's you know, because of his hard times demands perfection mm -hmm. or it's OCD or it's control. Who knows what? Yeah. And all of a sudden the kitchen gives you this opportunity to have control or to who demand perfection or to, you know, I don't know, focus whatever's, whatever's been a negative in the past. I don't know. Some people become obsessed with things too. And I think, you know, I mean, to be a chef and I can't even imagine. Well, that's where you have to let go. You know, that's the hardest part of being a chef. Like you were talking about control. Like, you know, if you micromanage, meaning mm -hmm. that you have to see every single step that goes through, you know, it makes you a very dedicated person, but it takes over your life. You know, um, if I want to, if I want to take my wife out on a date night on a Saturday night, like if I choose to, if I'm at the restaurant every Saturday night, right. But say, every fourth or every fifth week, you know, let's say once a month, I say, I'm going to take my wife out on a date night. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, I, I can't, I can't take you out. I need to be at the restaurant. You know what I mean? Like, even though I got a chef, I got a full staff, they're executing with no problem. Right. She's, you're going to, you're going to affect your life. Meaning yeah. that, you know, she's going to be like, you know, upset that, you know, I can't take her out or I can't relieve her from the kids. You know, like, you have to be able to balance that out. You Can know? you? Like, would you find that when you're out, you're like, oh, man, what is going on in that kitchen right now? No, it's been too long, man. Okay. It's been too long. Maybe at the beginning. Yeah, I would say, like, probably in the beginning, but, you know, if you get the right people, right? You just got to hire the right people. If you hire the right people, you and you just have trust in them and a lot of communication. I mean, Chef Chris here is fucking amazing. Like, it's like may sound silly but like we talk literally 10 times a day every day if i'm on vacation he'll call me and and it's not because like i don't it's not it's not because he can't do it without me mm -hmm. it's just like it's his respect to like keeping me informed of whatever's going on and he'll say to me yo tell me not to call you i'll be like no like you know like wife's in the bathroom getting ready for dinner like you know call me you know like if it's the right time like let's talk you know, and that's just every day. Like if he's, if he knows he's going to see me 
at 11 o'clock in the morning at the restaurant, but he wants to get something off his head, he'll call me, you know? And, and same thing here, I'll do the same. I'll be like, hey, I worked last night at the restaurant, he was off or something, I'll be like, Garmage, and I'm not gonna be in the next day. I'll be like, hey, Garmage was, you know, executing um, the, the, the octopus poorly, the Czech Pipanese was not coming out crispy enough and they were pre-doing it and they should be doing it to order, you know, to make sure that it's hot. And he'll be like, yeah, got it, no problem. It's all about communication. I can imagine, Ugh, man, it's, I keep, all I hear about is that it is so hard to open a restaurant, it's so hard to run a restaurant. You know, it's one of the hardest industries to, to, to be successful in. What, what's it like now? Well, like you, you got this, you got <clears> a great, man. you got a, what'd you say? I just shit, I said shit because of the pandemic. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, there's, we have a team, you need a team. That's right. the biggest thing. How do you like, adapt right now with Corona and all that kind of stuff? You know, it's, um, I'm going to be honest. For the short term. Yeah, for the short term, I mean, we're very lucky. I mean, come on, we're on the we're on the waterfront. Yeah. You know, um, I, people are coming out of the woodwork here. Like we're literally busy. We're, all, we're so we decided to close on Mondays mm-hmm. um, during the pandemic, and we're open Tuesday through Sunday, and we're open for brunch on um, Saturday and Sunday. Was, we're packed. Like pe- one week in advance, the place is full. Like, I did 220 people last night on a Thursday night. That's amazing, man. Because I know I know some people are really struggling right now. Wait, I'm, I'm not done. To hear I'm that. not done. You're killing it. That's here. Oh, yeah, you got two others. You know, Fashion Montclair, I did 25 people last night. So it, it just, you know, like, we're very fortunate to be in the location we're in, mm-hmm. you know. And Kitchen Step is, you, you know, you've been to Kitchen Step many times. Kitchen Step is in a very... Uh, Brooklyn like area looking area in Jersey City Van Voorst Park Um, it's sexy it's cool Uh, everybody walks to us so we're actually getting really good business there as well Um, and I think that also has to do with like being in a city we're what we're in one of the biggest cities in New Jersey right yeah Um, now Montclair is a big city but more families. Uh, Fashino is, um, again, I said, one of my most upscale restaurants. So maybe some of my clientele is not even leaving the house yet, you know? So we're struggling there. And uh, I know that there's a lot of people that are struggling because of, you know, where they are. And, you know, like anybody on Bluefield Avenue, Montclair, well, you know, there's no view. There's no New York City view. Sure, it's, yeah. it's cars zipping up and down, you know? And when they decided to do outdoor dining, what did I do? I never did outdoor dining ever in 17 years were open. And when they decided to do outdoor dining, I, what was I going to do? You know, we were doing the takeout game while everything was closed, um, which we did pretty decent with. Um, but once they did outdoor, I'm like, I don't even have outdoor stuff. I, I went out and spent $5,000. We bought tables, chairs, tents, um, you know, umbrellas. Uh, I did gardening. I put trellises up to make it look approachable and welcoming Two people that are going to sit on Bloomfield Avenue and, and pay $32 for an entree. Right. You know? So, I mean, you know, we've seen a little bit of an uptick, you know, in the last two weeks. Um, but but we, we need that indoor dining. I hear you. How, how do you, how many people can you fit here? Because we're on a pier. And it's just, uh, it is just Patella, right? There's a building there, but I don't know what that is. That used to be the, um, the yacht club. Is it empty right now? It's empty. They're gone because there's no, there's no, um, uh, marina anymore. What, they ripped the marina. That's just an empty building. We have storage there, um, but there was like there was like a sailing school on the second floor. There was bathrooms for the people that um, 
had their boats in the, at the marina, there was a, a washer and dryer and a huge garage. Like there was this one guy that was living here forever. He had like an SL 500 Mercedes sitting in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Jeez. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's not being used really other than the storage that we use and we have a, a changing room for the staff and right. stuff like that. So how many seats can we fit on this pier here that we're on? During pandemic? Yeah. So right now uh, we're a little over 100 seats. So that's why we're able to do such big amounts. 100 of outdoors? So we everyone have, else has like eight. So we, so we have, yeah, so we have the outdoor patio and then we have the open air patio. So when Governor Murphy said to uh, uh, that you can have uh, two open sides, you actually have uh, three open sides in our patio. Um, and you're talking about, what is that, like 12-foot windows. So it's 12-foot high, all open air. Um, so we're able to get a portion of the patio and then the outdoor, um, and that's like over 100 seats, and, and it's being turned twice every night. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, when I, when I ask, like, you know, where do, where do you see this going, right? How do you adapt and things like that? It seems like... I mean, you got to just be able to have a restaurant that can, I shouldn't say that is indoors and outdoors because how can anyone know? But like, like how do you feel about a food truck? That idea, not for you, but yeah, like yeah. the idea that, that that's someone who's like, you know, business isn't good right here. I'll drive down the street. Yeah. Um, do you I think restaurants have to be like that, a little bit more adaptable? Well, I wouldn't say a food truck is directly what they need to do. Um, if they have the finances to get a food truck going, it's, it's not cheap. You know, and you're, you're selling like food trucks. Typically when you walk up to a food truck, how many items do they have to pick from? Five max? Whatever's on a chalkboard. You yeah, know? exactly. So it's got to be phenomenal to have people and you need high volume. You're, you know, you're even, a, even um, if you're selling like lobster rolls at, you know, 16 bucks a pop. I mean, right? Yeah. You got to sell hundred to make and how 1600. Much, how, much, how much inventory can you really keep on the truck? Exactly. Right? So out, food out. trucks, I mean, listen, it's a great idea if you have one already, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, but, but if you don't have one, it's a big expense. Uh, adapting uh, is other things that you can do without spending money. You know, even though I did spend 5,000 on the outdoor, I had to, right. but I also did uh, virtual cooking classes where I was selling date nights. I didn't know that. Well, plug that right now. Cause I didn't know that. Yeah. What, so, virtual dates night, date nights, like you sit with your, your significant other and you're teaching them to cook together? Yeah, so, so you... it's, a Zoom, it's a Zoom cooking class. So I did it from my home kitchen, and it was two courses, and you pick up the prepped ingredients from the restaurant. I've done it from every restaurant, Fashino, Kitchen Step, and Botello. And I've, I was actually, what gave me the idea was I was doing it with a corporate company out of New York City. I got hired um, to do Zoom classes with their corporate um, uh, employees just to help keep the team intact seeing each other because they were all sitting home for months. Yeah. So an event planner, Sir Belly Creative, like to give a little shout out to Sir Belly Creative, they called me and said, we want to do a, a virtual cooking class with this corporate company and and they paid me and all that. And I was just like, oh man, this is, a, this is something we can do with the restaurants. So I did it with the restaurants, $150 a couple, and they got... Uh, the pre-prepped ingredients a couple hours before the class, they bring them home, they set them up on their table and it's an hour and like, it could be an hour, it could be an hour and 20 minutes. You know, it all depends on how fun I make everybody drink, you know, unless, unless you don't drink. Yeah. You know, it's like everybody has to have a, 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 a cocktail, a wine. Uh, they need to have some kind of alcohol in front of them. 
I do a special word. If I say the word, say if I use the word season, every time I use that word, you got to drink. So it's fun. That is it's fun. Exciting. You should keep that going, man. And then, they, and they learn how to cook like buttermilk baked chicken with like black truffle pesto or, you know, our chopped kale salad. And then it comes with like a dessert for you to enjoy afterwards. You know, it's an hour and 20 minutes. They're already, they get, they getting tuned up by, you know, you hit the end yeah. and they're, they're with their significant other. And then it's date night and it's it, you know? Uh, do you have like a, a best dish that, that signature dish that you make? Well, I mean, I have a few. Back in 2004, I created the ricotta gnocchi with sweet sausage bolognese at Fashino. Sounds very simple, but the gnocchi are made with just ricotta cheese. There's no potato. Typically, gnocchis are made with potato, um, but there are two authentic recipes, potato and ricotta. Nobody was really doing the ricotta, and I guess I started doing it, and... Uh, my cousin used to call them pillows of heaven because they were so light. If you eat a bowl of potato and yaki, you're like, yeah, I'm done. Like I want to take a nap. But when you eat the ricotta and yaki, it's, it's light. You know, it's still filling obviously, but it's light and you just, um, uh, you feel good. And, and, and then it's with a sweet sausage bolognese. So it's Italian sweet sausage. It's my, mo one of my more authentic dishes. Um, but it's just so popular. It's an, it's on every restaurant. Uh, though at Kitchen Step, we serve it with um, summer vegetables and a broccoli rabe pesto. Right. So we can change it up as well. Uh, but the gnocchi is made in-house. Hand-rolled, cut, fresh, never frozen. It's. Do you want to try it? That might kill me. <laughs> I st I'm, still, I'm still hesitant. I want to see you try that first. I know, man. I, this is the, the ravioli. There's mushroom on top. I'll like have it. my button. I'll have my finger on 911. All right. Should we do that now? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Then I'm going to, I got to ask you, because you did mention that to have more time, you got to take, do you have a? No, I'm going to oh. take a picture of you eating gluten. Oh, jeez, dude. <laughs> Here we go. So you mentioned you need to open up more restaurants to have more time. Yes. What's the next restaurant? Oh. Have you thought about it? Is it between a few things or you haven't even thought about it? Can't uh, I'm doing this, man. Hold on, hold on. Everybody, stay quiet. Everybody, stay quiet. Sack Pearl is going in for the button. <laughs> oh, you're filming it. This, this is dangerous, man. No one's seen me do this. Here he goes. Yes. Call nine one one. It's like the best tasting thing <laughs> I've had since I was a kid. And that's cold. Kidding. That's I'm actually cold right now. I'm right? Not <laughs> it's cold. It is cold, but it's, <laughs> dude, it's so good. I would eat this whole plate right now. It's good. Oh man, it's good. What is it again? Can we talk about this again? What is yeah. It? So uh, it's um, corn. It's corn agnolotti. So we take roasted corn, mm -hmm. okay, um, uh, and then we so we grill the corn actually. So we grill it to get like really hard char marks, and then we. Uh, puree it with mascarpone cheese. All right. This was a bad idea. I'll tell you why. Because you're gonna start eating gluten. That is. You know what it is? It's like you know, if you don't touch drugs, <laughs> you don't think about it, right? But now I've had that, so I know what it tastes like. And when I go home and eat that shitty gluten-free, you know, Beyond Patty Burger, whatever I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna be thinking about this. I hate Beyond Patty Burgers. I heard they're not that good for you. I don't so, want to talk about it. We serve it at Kitchen Step. You probably have to. What, a lot of requests. So what about the restaurant? All the right. one that you want to open. The dream restaurant. Let's, let's, let's pretend. You know what? Let's not 
do what's the next restaurant? If you could have any restaurant. Oh my God. I don't no. have to worry about making money. No, <laughs> you know what? I want to know the no, the no money restaurant. What are you serving? Where is it? And what's the, uh, I mean, here it is. Everybody wants, everybody that is, went to cooking school, traveled, um, has that, you know, the upscale technique behind their, you know, in their head. Everybody wants to go that Michelin style, right? I would love to do that, but I'm at a different time in my life. If I, if someone said to me, here's $5 million. I want you to open up a Michelin starred restaurant. Um, and I want you to make the nicest food ever that graced New Jersey, right? One, I would never see my kids. You think like me talking about working 12 hours a day, he, like typically, I mean, you're at like 18 hours a day. Like the guys at like Aviary and uh, uh, what's the restaurant they Alinea. have? Alinea. Alinea. Yeah. One of, by the way, one of the greatest meals I ever had in my life. Oh, you've been there. That's I, on my list. I went there a couple of years ago. Um, I went there with low expectations. I'll tell you why. I don't want to change the subject real quick, but I went there with low expectations because um, all I could think about with Alinea was molecular gastronomy. Do you know what that is? No. So molecular gastronomy is like where you use science and um, science, basically science to break down food, change the look of it, um, and then put it back together. Uh, I'll give you an example. Ray uses molecular gastronomy, and um, I actually love the way Ray uses it. Um, uh, how can I explain it? Um, you can make like liquid bubbles, right? Or liquid caviar. Um, you can make, uh, oh, perfect example. Um, Ferry and Adria he used to own a restaurant called El Bulli in Spain. And he used to make, now when you go, when you get bread at a table, you get olive oil, right? So he used to give these spheres and it was warm olive oil. So you would take the sphere I never had it. I've watched it on video. You take the sphere, you put it in your mouth, and it would pop with warm olive oil. So it was spherified olive oil. So it wasn't liquidy until you put it in your mouth, and then it would melt and then just gush, you know, into your mouth. Things like that. Um, I always believed that molecular gastronomy took away the um, the naturalness of cooking, you know. And so I went there with low expectations. Man, it was fucking amazing. We had 15 courses. They were just, just absolutely incredible. I don't even know how to explain it. And the service was not uh, stuffy at all. They were fun. You know, they were cool. They were funny. I just, it was just, just one of the, just an incredible experience. Um, so getting back to my own restaurant. Yeah. Right. Um, so now, like, yeah, that would be a dream, but man, I lived in Italy too, and a dream for me would be like a really like authentic Italian Osteria, you know. And it seems simple. There's so many Italian restaurants, but like, I don't know. There's just some kind of like romanticism um, with, you know. Italy and their restaurants in piazzas. 
Um, they don't need to wear ties. They don't need to have tablecloths. There's just like, it's just this perfect sexiness that you're just serving like arugula on a plate with shaved Parmesan. But the, but the thing is, is that the dream that I don't know if we can achieve all year round is getting the type of produce they get. I know so many people that are uh, lactose intolerant that never touch dairy in the States and then go to Italy and eat cheese and drink dairy. And they're like, never bothered me. If you wanted to work here, what would you have to bring to the table? <sighs> to be honest with you, I if mean, you were hiring, you know, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You might have everyone who's the best in the world. Just I don't, and- I don't. I mean, it's, you know, we're, listen, I have very hard workers um, and I'm very, we're very blessed with the management team that we have here. We're really working hard to get like really good like staff in here. You know, look, we're in the middle of a pandemic and, and what was it? The 600, extra $600 ended when a week ago, you know, people were making a thousand dollars a week sitting home on their asses. So to get good people has been very, very hard. I'm st- I hire every day, like every guy that comes through and I'm like, if you're good, I'll hire you. And I'm very fortunate of how busy we are here. But I'll weed through the people that don't want to be here. You know, if a cook says, you know, like, oh, I can't come to work today. Well, what's wrong? Um, I can't come to work today. Like, they don't even have a fucking excuse, yeah. you know? So it happens. It happens to the best of the best, you know? And having, you know, New York City across the pond right over there, like, those are where the best cooks are at. So we're, we're struggling here to get good cooks, the best chefs. I am on a group text with the best chefs, you know, Jamie Knott from, uh, seller three, three, five. He, you know, he's my boy. Like he worked, we, he opened Fashino with me and we talk about it all the time. You know, Anthony Bucco, Felina, um, AJ from, uh, Jockey Hollow, Robbie Felice from Osteria Crescendo and Viaggio. We talk about it, man. It's like, we're all the good cooks, you know, it's like, I, we just don't know where they are, you know? And there's, don't get me wrong. There's diamonds in the rough. We have them. But when you have, you know, when Patello's up and running with, like, full service, rat, rat, weddings, like, minus pandemic, right? Full service, there's 30 kitchen employees. 30. That's, that's two full employees of Fashino in Montclair. Yeah. We have 15 full employees at, at Fashino. I got 30 in the kitchen here. So, you know... Um, it's hard. The requirement right now is have good knife skills, Shh, be loyal, meaning show up for work every day, and listen, and have fucking, like, heart. You put heart into it, you may not be able to cut um, a julienne, which is a long strip, or a, or, or a dice perfect, but that will come with time. If you have passion and you have heart, yeah, it will come with time. Do you find what... You know, the majority of people coming out, the younger generation who wants to be a chef, wants to be a cook. I mean, what is it that I'm sure they all want to be, like you said, they all want to open the Michelin sort of thing. But what is it that you find that they, they don't realize they're getting into? Oh, man, dude. I've got to be a I'm big gonna, thing. Where listen, like, I didn't know it was I'm like gonna throw it out, Dude, I'm going to throw it out there right now. Like, if you talk to any of the guys from the restaurants I worked at in Manhattan, I was a good cook at best. I was never one of the best. And I was still focusing on my, my, my fun life and going out with my friends and having a good time. Like there were guys that put their fucking head down, like, and they were like, work, go home, work, go home. 
You know, if I got out of work at 10 o'clock, I met my friends at the bar. You know what I mean? I, w- I wasn't partying, but I was, I was, I was having a couple drinks, whatever. Some of the guys that were 10 times better than me left the business because of the stress. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, you have to differentiate what, what, you know, what your life's about, you know, unless you can actually just say, this is it. But there were a lot of guys that were so much better than me and they just were like, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah, Ray was talking about the stress of working in, at, at, high, uh, at the high level in this industry. Mm-hmm. There's just constant stress, anxiety, and, you know, even backstabbing and, yeah, you know, yeah, everyone's out for their, their own success. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, we're all friends in the industry, but like, you know, if some other guy's offering a dollar more per hour, you know, and one of your cooks finds out, he's going to go there. You know, now you have loyal friends in the business are going to be like, oh, you work for Ryan and Corey and Joe. Sorry, can't come here. There's other guys that are just so in need of good cooks that they're just be like, yeah, 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 you can come. You can come. And then and then you're like, oh, well, you know, why do you offer that guy a job? He worked for me. And he's like, oh, I didn't do it. He came to me. You know, like it happens, you know, and I'm at a point now like. I used to get so fucking mad. I'd be like, why the fuck did you offer him a job? He was my guy, right? But if you're if he if your guy is going somewhere else, then you're not offering what he needs. Yeah. You know? And whether you can't offer that extra dollar, that's not you're not doing something wrong. You're still looking after the business, right? There's margins and you have to meet those margins. If you don't meet those margins because you're trying to keep the cook that wants 18 instead of 16 an hour, you gotta just, you know. You either need to figure it out, meaning cut another cook to get him to that 18, or you got to just be like, I'm sorry, dude. You know, maybe you'll come back in a year, you know? Um, I'm still eating. I <laughs> can hear that. It's so damn good. Yeah, well, that's the best part about having food in front of you and that's talking. So good, like, listen, that's why we were talking about, like, you asked me what's my perfect restaurant. My perfect restaurant is a group of fucking people, which is, I already have that. It's mm-hmm. a group of people coming to eat your food and enjoying each other's company. Even though... We're in the middle of this pandemic right now. Like when people walk through that door, right? That door right there, that door I'm pointing to is the front door of the restaurant. It's a mini vacation for them, right? All the, all the, all the, um, uh, the bothersomes in life, right? All the things that, you know, uh, you have to deal with your, even your responsibilities. I'm not saying don't do them, but I'm saying, all those things wash away when you walk through that door. And all you're thinking about is, man, I want to get a nice Negroni. I want to get a glass of champagne, a glass of wine, a cocktail by Ray. That's what, it's a wind down, right? So it's a mini vacation from your everyday responsibilities. Right. That's my dream is to make sure that you get that mini vacation and you walk out of here and be like, I'm, I'm feeling good. You yeah. know, I had great food. I was around friends. I was around my beautiful wife. I was around, you know, great acquaintances, you know, people that make you happy, food that makes you happy, uh, drinks that make you happy. And that's it, man. That's the equation. Yeah. That's all the ingredients for a, for a, a three-star experience. I, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Listen, we all have our, you know, we all have our, it's hard to run a restaurant. It's hard to, you know, continue the um, consistency, but as long as you're on top of it and, and, and when there is a problem, you take care of it. Don't ignore it. If somebody says, you know, uh, my server poured um, 
my 1994 Brunello Montalcino into my, you know, seltzer glass, you better, you better take care of that instead of just being like, oh, our bad. <clears throat> take care of it. You know, if you pour, you know what I mean? Or you poured flat water into seltzer. Like you need to take care of it. You don't just be like, oh, my bad. Yeah. Oh, sir, I'll get you another bottle. Pay attention to detail and customer service. That's why it exists in every single industry. But the problems still happen. They're always going to happen. Right. We're human, right? So um, I think we're I think we're human. I had a cook in here. I don't know why I'm changing the subject so quick, but it just came to my mind. No, go for it. And he was just like such a good cook, and he's a fucking pothead. And listen, some people can smoke weed every day and work no problem, mm -hmm. but like he just he couldn't maintain like he couldn't maintain focus. He couldn't maintain. I love weed. I don't smoke it anymore, but I loved it. But I just knew that, like, there was something, you know, I had to push aside, you know? Some people are being like, fuck that, man. I love smoking weed. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that to, to each its own, if you can get through your work day, you know, and not, you know, be slow about it and not be, you still got to be go 100 miles an hour. And you're at yeah. work, you know, especially if you're working with other people, right? There's somebody that, there's somebody next to you that's going to take your spot. So you need to be focused. Right. You know? It's weird like that too. Some people focus better. I shouldn't say focus better. Some people find that they are better when they are using a substance and things like that. There oh, yeah. are there are musicians and writers that when you know when they have a few drinks, that's when all the gold comes out and they sometimes fear that if without it they can't yeah, be yeah. creative. That's that is their back to maybe that is their hundred miles an hour. Yeah. You know? But yeah. here you have to be like you're on the line, you're yeah. seasoning with salt and pepper, you're working with hot pans, sharp yeah. knives. The difference is we're we're talking about you can't make mistakes. No. You're on man. the stage, you're playing music, you can do that. You no. can riff. This right here, like, you got to think about it. Like, this corn agnolotti. I feel bad that I'm not eating that. I would eat that whole plate, dude. I just don't know what's going to happen. No. It's like glad. nine dumplings I, left. I can't or, tell uh, you. Ravioli, uh, excuse me. Agnolotti. I have one more piece. Agnolotti. Agnolotti. There you go. Let me, I'm going to take another little piece. Let's see what happens. Go for it. It's just so good. Um, Hope I don't you, die. So you haven't felt anything? So far, I'm good. Okay. Off a little bite. Okay. Right? It's Why do about, you look uh, green? No, I'm just dude. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right, that was a big bite. Let's see what happens. That's a whole, what's it called? Agnolotti. So, Agnolotti. so it's like, what's a, the difference between that and ravioli? So, ravioli's round, right? Oh. This is a, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's, it, I, I know it's just the geometry. What I like to explain to people is because people are like, what's agnolotti? It's uh, a rectangular shaped ravioli. That's what okay. I like to say. We also have another one called triangly. What do you think that is? I mean, yes, so. <laughs> nah. It's amazing, though. You know? So um, there's so many different shapes. There's, like, crazy amount of shapes that I'm still trying to learn myself. Like, I still try to teach myself how to make new pastas. Because, I mean, everybody's making fresh pasta now. And when it comes to the margins, the best margin, man. You make so much money off of pasta. When I say so much, I'm saying, like, if I charge $25 for that plate, you know, it might cost me $3 to put on the plate. Right. Don't forget, though, before I say that, somebody be like, oh, I'm paying for Ryan's pasta. Don't forget, I have a guy that, that makes $14 an hour and works 55 hours a week to keep up with the pasta that right. we make fresh. Yeah, the costs are always there. Now, what's the difference between, like, pasta that you said $3 gets slower for 25 So when a steak is like... Oh, dude, you don't... Uh, the margins like on sushi steaks and Things like that. Like, the, like tuna. You know, like, we, sell, like, we have... Um, uh, we sell like bone-in ribeyes, you know. So typically a chef will try to hit a 30% or lower food cost. 
So what that means is if the dish costs $5, we will sell it for $15, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you try to go lower, if you want 20%, you sell it for $20, okay? So if a steak costs us $50, right? Bone and ribeye could cost us upwards of $50. And it's only going to feed two people. I mean, you can't really sell it for more than $120. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. There's steakhouses in New York City that sell them for $185. But we're in New Jersey, right? There's, there's differences. You know, you, the cocktails in New York City are $21. Here, they're 15 You know what I mean? There's a huge difference, which really sucks for us in New Jersey because we're putting in the love, too. We may not have $50, you know, Christoffel glasses, you know, which does make a big difference to some restaurants. But, you know, we're, we're still putting in the love. And that's, that's tough, you know? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to pasta, there, I, there's no, you have, we have to charge those prices for the, for the time, the love, and the effort that goes into it. Yeah. You have to. I think some people forget what it takes to make pasta. They, so they think much. you're opening a box and pouring it into the hot boiling water for six minutes. Yeah, right. I wish. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't wish. I don't wish. No, I, no, no. I've, I've seen how it looks. I've seen where the, you know, you, you roll the dough and then you, you cut it a certain way. Then you hang it. Yeah. You know, and then, yep. then you, you know. Don't forget the machines we buy. The, yeah. So this one is made with a pasta roller. Right. So a pasta, the edges. So a pasta roller, you take, you make a dough, right? Mm -hmm. And then you cut a sliver and you run it through the machine. I'm making hand motions. <laughs> yeah. So you run it through the machine, right? And you mm -hmm. start on, it has two rollers, right? And they roll like this. And you put it through, uh, you put it through large and then it starts to get flattened. But yeah, like first- Two rolling pins almost. Exactly. Right? Two metal rolling pins. But the first five times you roll through- you fold it in half. You roll through, you fold it in half. Now you're working all the gluten in the pasta. You're, you're, every time you work the gluten in the pasta, that's where you're getting that like bite in the pasta. Mm -hmm. All right? I mean, all this is is flour and eggs, special flour and eggs, right? Or egg yolks. So you have to work the gluten so that it creates this elasticity um, to, to get that bite in the pasta. Um, so then you do that five times. Then you take the crank, and it's at 10, and you go to 9. Now the rollers go like this. Whoop. They get a little, a little closer. They get okay. a little tighter. You roll it through. Then you go to 8. Whoop. You get all the way down to 2. 2 is like this, right? Yeah. So you're, you're, running, you're running a thin sheet. So that is right here. This is two sheets pushed together. So this was flat. We rolled it over, okay, and tucked it under for the fancy shape. But, right. but the whole point is, is that it's a thin piece of dough, right? And then you got to... Now you, you also spent an hour and a half making the filling. Yeah. Right? So you made the filling. Now you're putting the filling in. You're rolling it. You're pinching it, right? Yep. These get pinched right there. And you got to use a special tool to get that kind of teeth-like right? edge so, to it. Which we imported from Italy. You know, not much $20 tool. But that, that electric pasta machine that we were using, the electric pin, uh, the pin, rolling pins, whatever. I can't even fucking talk now. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's $1,400. Crazy. Right back in the day, it was by hand, right? Oh my god, can't imagine. Uh, so there's this guy in Los Angeles, um, he has a restaurant called Felix. I heard of Felix, yeah, I heard it's really good. So the guy makes all of his pasta, there's no machines. He, he even had he, he's a little extreme. Oh, you know why? He was on Joe Rogan. That's it's his favorite, I think it's Rogan's yeah. favorite restaurant, yes, yeah. So he makes everything with a long pin mm -hmm. and hand, everything's made by hand. Everything's Something about folded. that, right? Something sexy about it, super sexy, man. Uh, he has a hashtag, fuck your pasta machine. <laughs> I love that, yeah. But, um, it's 
it's a, it's an art form that you have to learn, uh, through somebody. And he went to Bologna and went to this woman, this old woman. Unfortunately, I looked into it. I literally looked into it after I watched his movie. I was like, maybe I'll go to her school for like two weeks. She, she closed. Um, but yeah, man, I'm dying to like, just like learn more about that and stuff. Um, but then we have another pasta machine, an extruder. So, um, special cuts that you can't fold and put together like rigatoni, right? Um, and you have like ones that you may never have heard of crested de gallo. We have crested, we have a paprika crested de gallo. So crested de gallo is, uh, looks like the coxcomb of a rooster mm -hmm. and it's just, so it's a round and then it has wiggles. It's oh. a pasta. That's a, is there something inside or is it just the pasta? It's no, no, no. It's just a pasta. So it, so the machine, it pushes you, they have like a tumbler, um, and it tumbles the dough into like wet, sorry, into like wet sand. Okay. Right. So it's not like the, so the, so the rolling machine, you, you make a dough, which you, you've seen on, you know, videos and stuff like that. Dough comes together, right? Mm -hmm. Like a ball. This one's like wet sand and it's called, and you put the, you put the ingredients in the hopper and the hopper just rolls it around in a circle till it turns into wet sand. You let it rest for like 15 minutes and then you twist the hopper to, to extrude. It's called pasta extruder. And the dough comes out of the extruder and has a cutter. And then you have these brass dies, fucking $200 a piece brass dies from Italy. And the brass die has a shape. Rigatoni, lumache, crested de gallo, bucatini, um, so many different shapes. Torquillo, um, God, garganelli. Garganelli I make by hand, but they do have a garganelli cutter. Um, and that machine, the one we have, $5,500. You know oh what I mean? And that's, but that's how you make all these dishes. That's how you make your rigatoni. That's how we make all of our pasta. So we have these two machines. It, right? So we have these two machines, you know, adding up over $7,000. We have a $14 an hour cook that works 55 hours a week making fresh pasta. You know, um, and then you, you know, it just, it's, it's ongoing. Yeah. I, and, I, and we're doing 1500 people a week. Yeah. So think about how much pasta we're making. Yeah. You know? Well, I'm not surprised by the cost of the equipment. I mean, I, I laugh when, you know, someone will ask me to like, Hey man, uh, would you like to, I need to, I need to shoot a music video. Can you shoot it for me? My budget's $300. And I go, man, my, ca my camera cost me $10,000. You know, it's it, Come on, man. It's going to cost a hundred to get to you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's, I, I get it, man. People, people are always surprised about the cost of equipment, but man, when it turns around, yeah, all it really is, is just a, it's a much more efficient way of getting what your, your product, your service, right? That's yeah. All it really is. No, no, it's the truth. I mean, I mean, there had to be a way to make this stuff before the machine. How do you make rigatoni before, you know, in the, in the mid 1800s? God, I don't know. Right. It's, that'd be interesting. That's an excellent question. Right. All these things. I don't know. I've learned a lot, not about pasta, but, but about the things that they did back in the 1700s. I've been watching this show, Outlander. Did you ever see that? It's on Netflix or what is it? Well, it's on Netflix now. It came from stars, but it's like the British and Scottish army against each other. Oh, oh, it's not like a cooking show. No, no. I, I'm doing yeah, I told, cooking show. I totally like just got off subject real quick. Yeah, but like, when yeah, you mentioned yeah, 17 and 1800s, I'm like, oh yeah, this show Outlander. I've heard, I've heard the name. I, but I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm but yeah, it was just like, it's like, has nothing to do with the show, but like, oh, I'm going to bathe in the lake because there's no showers. Yeah. You know, that's how it used to be. Yeah. If you were or, upstream or they were like churning you know? butter, 
to make butter. Like, you know, they're like, rah, yeah. And then you had to store it a certain way. Or there's no lights, and they're 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 like just lighting candles yeah, at night, trying like, to buy candlelight, and then you had to <laughs> you had to put it somewhere and hope it didn't go bad. I guess you know, just crazy shit. You're like, man, we got a good. We now. have it. Good. We do have it good. We're sitting. Where are we sitting right now? By the way, in Batello, there is a room. How do you describe this room? This is the private room, right? Yeah, this is our private wine cellar. Um, you, we probably have a few thousand bottles. Well, we're actually a little light with the pandemic. Usually all the cubicles uh, are full to the brim. So typically we'll have a few thousand bottles in here where I'd say maybe 2000 bottles. Um, you can sit 16 people comfortably in yeah. here. Um, and it's temperature controlled, which is nice because um, if we were sitting outside, it'd be nice and hot, but we're, we're pretty chill in here. 16 people. You said 16 comfortable. Yeah. Private. We even have a screen for corporate events. Um, Anthony Carino designed the restaurant um, and he, he designed this room. Um, how do you, how do you reserve this room? Do you have to, is it a spend minimum? Or you have to book it. Is it there private? Is, there is a spend minimum. Um, I, I want to say it's a thousand or it's 1500. Um, you know, and, and we, you know, you call here, there's an events line. We have two event planners, Dominique uh, Borzamani. She's the head event planner. And then you have Megan as well, who, who works with her side by side for all events. Yeah. And when we were like full go. We would have 180 people in the dining room, you know, a private dinner in here. And then like say 80 to hundred in that room private. It makes me happy to know that things are still happening. Even though the whole world's standing still there, people yeah. still opening restaurants. Yeah. People starting to work at new restaurants. Makes yeah. me happy to hear. But we just, you know, we got to get, we got to get through this. Yeah. We got to get through this. And I think that even though, you know, they're trying to get a vaccine and all that, you know, which I don't even know if I'm like hundred percent sure, you know, for, you know, but what I am for is getting businesses back up and running. You know, mm -hmm. um, I have, you know, we have, obviously have to take COVID-19 very serious. I took the test before we opened Patella. Okay. Just like a, a lot, the entire staff took the test. We went down to Jersey City um, where they're doing the test. Uh, if you're a resident or you work in Jersey City, uh, which yeah. huge shout out to like Mayor Fulop, man, for like the shit that he's been doing, like for Jersey City. I think we were the first ones to shut down, like in the whole world or something. Yeah, right. Dude, it was pretty was quick. Like Jersey City was the was, first ones to be like, we're closed. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, I think when that first happened, I was actually my old self. I was pissed off. I was like, what the fuck, man? Like we're businesses, you can't just shut down businesses. But then my brother got sick, and like, you're like, oh, it's real, it's real, it's real. Yeah, yeah, it's a scary thing. You I know? mean, if it was, it was obviously here before anyone knew, right? It's not like anyone says, hey, everybody, just letting you know, Corona's coming to our place today, right? It's here, <laughs> and you find out, right? Yeah. After it's been given around, so you gotta just think. You picture New York City, and you just think like, all it takes is someone to go into a car in a subway, subway car, yeah. with Corona, and be in that little box with like 50 other people, and then they all travel together get it in that car travel to somewhere else yeah, and yeah. they all just go different directions right Dude, and then they all get into a thing and they go a different so it's like it's a transport system yeah yeah it takes a day and how could we not have it and you're giving me flashbacks so like when i was like 20 and going and taking the fucking path and yeah. taking the subway i hated it in the summer it was so hot and muggy it and sucks nasty. in the summer and it sucks in the winter in yeah. the summertime it's hot and sweaty in the winter time you're just, now all of a sudden you're wearing a coat i think i'm very proud you know? to say that i haven't been on a subway in 17 years it's only been seven months for me, man. I don't miss it at all. I hate it. Oh, I hate it. I'd rather sit in traffic. Thank God for Uber. <laughs> yeah. Uber, man, that changed everything. And that's suffering now, too. 
People don't want to get in, in cars now. You see the plastic, they put yeah. the plastic up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know who yeah. sat there before you and touched the windows and yeah. touched the doors. I've been, I, I've been doing it. You know, I just, I'm careful, man. I have, you know. You taking Ubers with that BMW out there? You're taking Ubers? Well, I guess if you're drinking. I'm being right? safe, man. My, you know, for my wife, if we get a date night, I'm, I'm having a few drinks. Oh, so, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not going to drive. I think everyone's you know? drinking now. Um, it's nice, dude. It's nice to, like, get picked up and dropped off, like, when you're drinking. Yeah. You know? And, and like, I don't know if I probably should be saying this on a podcast, but, like, when I was younger and, and I no kids and I was, you know, very little responsibility, there was probably quite a few times that I drove drunk. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm upset about it now that I think, like, and, and probably say to myself, like, all right, you know, thank God I got through, you know, nothing happened to me, yeah. right? But, but if, if Uber was then, man, I'd probably be still <laughs> acting like a maniac responsibly. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's a solution to a big problem. I'm, I'm sure self-driving cars will solve some of that too. As soon as that happens, you know, I don't really. I don't want that. I love. I don't driving. want that either. I, I love. I love either. having. A, I love driving a car. Yeah, you know, it's gonna. And happen. I think it's funny. I'm in the middle of a podcast right now, but like, I love. I hated driving up until like about three or four years ago. I started listening to podcasts, and I was like, oh, okay. It does make all the difference because now all of a sudden your time in your car that's either your alone time. Yeah. That's your I'm gonna learn Spanish time, right? <laughs> Italian uh, for me. I'm gonna learn Italian, right? That kind of thing, or I'm gonna, you know listen to an interesting topic. Yeah. It changed completely traveling and Agreed. going from A to B, you know, now all of a sudden yeah. I don't care if it takes longer. So what is your favorite podcast outside of, uh, Joe Rogan? Ooh, man, I don't what else are you listening to? Uh, that's all I listen to. Really? Yeah. Uh, you know why? I got, I got a lot of food ones. I, I love Joe Rogan's podcast cause I seem to learn something new every, every time. And I like, I like how balanced it is. It's just everyone's, it's all different yep. people, all different. Yep. And you know, it's, Smart I can't people. believe how fucking smart he is. Yeah, well, I think it's that he loves to learn. He's curious. Yeah, and I'm like that too. So that's why I, I like, I wanted to do this. But because his podcasts are almost every day, because yeah. they're like two to three hours long, yeah. I can't listen to other podcasts. Yeah, that's true. You know I mean? It does like, take forever to listen to him. I can't do it. No. I once took off from New York and I had like a three hour flight and I landed listening to the same podcast. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, it's, I just, yeah. it's, it takes up all the time. Yeah. I think he reads a lot. Right. Because it's like, and no matter who he has on, like he'll start talking about, like he'll talk about doing mushrooms with Post Malone and talking about aliens yeah. and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden he'll have like, you know, this, um, like a neurosurgeon yeah. talks about brain regeneration. Yeah. yeah I love that. Yeah, stuff. But and then, it's a hunter, but then you know? he'll like start talking about like what that neurosurgeon does with their surgeries. And, and, and I'm like, Joe, how the fuck do you know yeah, this? He must read a lot. Or he just has spoken to that many people. I like learning about things. I have a hard time remembering that are so different. things. Like if I read something, I have a hard time. Like my brother, mm -hmm. my brother reads something, never forgets it. Never. Oh, forget. I forget everything. Me too, man. I couldn't tell you what I did last weekend. It's if it wasn't the, for the wedding, I wouldn't remember. It's the ADD. I have ADD. Me too. And uh, I never took anything. And I just think like to this day, I had actually a, an older doctor at Fashido say to me, um, you know, because I felt like, you know, some doctors kind of like, maybe like back in the old days, when I say old days, maybe the guy's like in his like late 70s, you know, I would have thought he would have been like, you don't need that, you know? Yeah. And he said to me, you know, he's like, just because you're an adult doesn't mean you can't still take something. And I don't. But he, he kind of made me go, hmm, when he was like, you think you probably would be even better at your job if you, you know, yeah. 
Controlled. Sure. Controlled. And then I start thinking about Joe Rogan's on it. Have you ever tried that? The yeah, alpha brain? I take it. Is it good? Do you feel it? Do you feel like you're paying attention? You know what's funny? Better? <laughs> you know what's funny? Like, uh, I forget to take it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'll take it for three days and then I'll forget for two, which is funny because the whole point is to not forget. Yeah. But I do notice when I take it, I'm a little bit, I, I know it, I know it's going to sound like cheesy to say it, but I am more focused. I'm, I'm not so, um, I find that I can kind of just sit and do something longer. And you look, and it could you, be from that or something. And else. you looked into it like it's, it's all, is it natural? It's all natural stuff. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know. Like, man, it's when, that, hard to when that, like, you know, that sponsored ad comes through your Instagram about Alpha Brain, obviously it's going to come through because Joe Rogan's involved in it and I listen to Joe Rogan. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to get it. And my, wife, my wife's like, it better not be like chemicals in that. You know what I mean? I, it, to me, I feel like it's like melatonin. You know, it's like you're taking this thing that's not prescribed, but it but it doesn't make you tired, does it? No, no, no. But it it somehow it works. Okay. But it's not working on like a prescription strength level. Cool. Something's happening, but it's not a lot. Is it worth the the price of it? I don't know. It also probably affects everyone differently. All right, you listening, Joe Rogan? I'm gonna get Alpha Brain and try it, and I'm gonna. You should try. I'll give you some. <laughs> I'll right. give you some. Um, I like it. it. Also, tastes really good. You know, some of the supplements don't taste good. Is it a pill or it's a chew? You can get either one. Powder. In a smoothie, okay, peach, whatever. I think I have peach. Tastes really good. And yeah, I notice I take it, man. Even if it's a placebo, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm gonna focus really well today. And then I just like I make the most of this yeah. thing. Funny story though uh, about like ADD. Yeah. I so I have ADD bad. And when I was in middle school, elementary school, I had it really bad. I mean, we're talking. I can't. I didn't notice a thing the teacher said. But I remember at the time you got made fun of if you had ADD, mm. or at least I was, you mm -hmm. know, you get, you got kind of picked on a bit, you know, as if it's like this really bad thing because you're different, even though probably everyone had it. Sure. But, uh, I remember my parents putting me on like Ritalin on like a pill for ADD. And within a week, because I was being made fun of for having to take it, I faked, this is the first time I've ever admitted this right now. Oh shit. I faked having an adverse reaction. And I kept it up for a while, for like a week or two until they took me off of it. And I was never used it. I never was put on a medication for the rest of my life. So I look back though and I go, I could have been on this stuff for like 15, 20 years, but I, because I was picked on, it was just like, yeah. oh, it's, it gives me like yeah. hand spasms. And like, you know, I did the, I did this like thing where like my arms would shake <laughs> and I blamed it on that. And, and your parents don't know this. They don't know that. <laughs> well, and the reason I'm glad that I wasn't on it is even though it could have helped me, is because I don't know, first of all, when does it stop? Do I take it forever, right? Yeah. If I need to stop, how hard is it to stop? Yeah. Is it going to completely throw my chemicals off? Yeah. And also, what's the long-term effect of this? You know, what's the 50-year study on taking this every day? I mean, the doctor says nothing. I don't know how they know that taking a pill. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how yeah. he can say that. You know, my sister-in-law, she told me she weaned herself off, like, as a teenager. So she went up to, like, mm -hmm. late teenager and weaned herself off. Um so, all right, we got, we got, yeah, we got to wrap it up. We got to wrap it up, dude. This was great. Um, thank you for probably, having me. Man, this was this is one of the best ones. Uh, <laughs> can you plug Batella? Where are we? Yeah, yeah. Instagram. So, so uh, guys, you know, um, my name's Chef Ryan DePercio. Loved being here with Zach. Uh, you can follow me. Um, what the fuck is my Instagram? I don't even know. Chef is. RD, right? Oh the, no, Chef underscore RD. Chef underscore RD. Right. Find there on Instagram. Oh, yeah. 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 Let's Jesus. make sure we get that right. I don't even know. Chef underscore RD. Um, and uh, the restaurants uh, are my labors of love. 
um, Fashino and Montclair uh, with my family, and then Corey Checkett and Joe Calafuri are the the brains behind uh, Botello and Kitchen Step that I am blessed to be partners with them in. Um, support small business, guys. We, uh, we need it. Hell right yeah. Right. Definitely. Peace and love. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Take care. Peace. Peace.